This is an ABC7 News special. Life under fire. You always have to watch your back. Everywhere you go, every step you take, you, you always you have to watch your back. The gun trade. Physical evidence doesn't lie. Resolving conflicts without violence. All shootings are not gang related, of course. A lot of the shootings are interpersonal conflict. They're weak-minded. They get whooped, they embarrassed or whatever, so they'll go back and get a gun. Mayor Daly's resolve. Stand up to the gangbangers. Stand up to the dope dealers. I ask the adults, men and women, stand up. If you don't stand up, who's supposed to stand up? Parental responsibility. Children killed. The solution is parents. Stop the violence. Conflicts and resolutions. Now, here are Ron Majors and Cheryl Burton. Good evening, everyone. We are in front of a makeshift memorial on the city's far south side in the Roseland community. This memorial was erected about a year ago after an alarming number of kids were killed. Last year, when Blair Holt was killed, this community was galvanized into fighting back. And this year, kids are still getting killed and at a disturbing rate. This is our third special aimed at finding solutions to stop the violence. In our first two programs, we brought together community leaders and voices inside our studio. Well, tonight we are focusing on going inside the community to talk about ongoing conflicts and a search for solutions. Here at Crane High School, a tipping point for this year's violence. A student shot and killed just after school let out. It's the kind of violence that makes kids afraid in their own neighborhood. Sociologists call it urban genocide, where kids run the streets and adults have run out of answers. We are at a state of emergency. March 7th, 18-year-old Reuben Ivey, a senior at Crane, was shot and killed in an after-school fight by a 15-year-old classmate. Another student was severely beaten with a golf club. He was just on his way ready to come home, and one boy just walked up to him and just shot him in the chest. During the month of April, an epidemic of violence, in just a single week last month, 40 people shot, 12 killed. This is like people who I'm planning my future with, and they're all dead. The spike in shootings caused ripples everywhere, making national headlines. And now turning to Chicago, a city under siege, a surge in gun violence and murders, turning the Windy City into a real war zone. So far this school year, 24 Chicago public school students have been killed, 21 by gunfire. In all of last school year, 31 CPS students were killed, 24 by gunfire. What is wrong with this? What is wrong with us? Are we animals or are we people? Do we care more for guns and bullets than we care for human life? Fed up with the violence, students protested outside the Thompson Center calling for tougher gun legislation. Empty desks and shoes symbolize murdered students. One of us could be next. We need to stop the violence. You are the hope. The young people, we need you to take the lead on saying no more guns and no more violence. It's up to all of us to protect all of our children at all times. Determined to stop the bloodbath, Mayor Daley joined in a unity march in the back of the Yards neighborhood and called for an emergency summit last month at City Hall. I want the parents of the block to say this block will be free of violence. Countless children carry deep wounds from witnessing the acts of violence. <laughs>
That student, Ashley Jackson, was overcome with emotion as she recounted the shooting death of a classmate at Simeon High School. Here at Crane High School, many students express fear of just walking back and forth to school. It's that never-ending onslaught of violence that has a daily impact on the lives of the residents. To find out what it's like to live life under fire, ABC 7's Charles Thomas gained unprecedented access inside two of Chicago's toughest neighborhoods. How many people have you known who have been murdered? Murder. About six, seven, about six, seven people. In the most violent city neighborhoods, to have known one or several murder victims is not unusual. I know people, but I don't know people who kill, you know? Nobody wants to believe that they know somebody that's capable of doing that. Somebody did it. Somebody around here did it. And if asked, Victims who survived violent attacks will show their scars, whether inflicted by a knife or ball bat, a flying bullet, or a surgical instrument used to repair the damage. I've been shot one time, and the guys on the block was into it, and they just started shooting, and they hit me in my arm. Marcus Starks counts himself among the blessed people in his West Inglewood neighborhood. It's in Chicago's 7th Police District, which had the highest number of violent crimes in the city last year. At 21, Starks is still alive and has never done what he calls hard prison time, despite his admitted membership in the Gangster Disciple Street Gang. It's about growth and development. You know what I'm saying? It's not about shooting, killing, none of that. You know what I'm but saying? do GDs shoot and kill? Yes, they do. It's not organized now. You know what I'm saying? Everybody just doing them. Everybody on their own. On their own, Starks explained, means that a GD in West Inglewood would just as soon kill another GD if the dispute was over money or who's the toughest. If they get into a fight, one wanna go like, all right, I'm finna come back and kill his or whatever, so they'll go back and get a gun. I guess they can't beat this person with their hands, you know what I'm saying? And that's how I go. I'm to the point now where I feel I probably can't even make it to the bus stop. The neighborhood that I live in is so much crime, so much violence. It can happen to anybody. 35-year-old Melissa Campbell-Holt says she doesn't feel safe anymore in West Inglewood, and she worries about the neighborhood's effect on her nine children who range in age from 6 to 20 years old. There's no quality of life here. Last month, Campbell Holt's next-door neighbor on South Marshfield, 32-year-old Otis Townsend, was shot to death during an apparent robbery. Two years ago, 10-year-old Saritha White, the daughter of her other next-door neighbor, was killed by a stray bullet while attending a birthday party. Campbell Holt says her own daughter, now 13-year-old Adrian, was a guest at the same party and still suffers emotionally. One night she heard shots. She ran all the way upstairs on, in, in the bedroom. And I ran upstairs and found that she was just behind the bedroom door, just balled up, just shaking, crying. If violence in Inglewood these days is less related to gang affiliations and turfs, that is not the case in the Little Village neighborhood on the west side. Here continues one of the longest running and deadliest street gang wars in the United States.
Lawndale Avenue at 26th Street is the border. Everything east is controlled by the Latin Kings, while west of Lawndale is Two-Sixer territory. And for over 30 years, a reality. Any gang member caught on the wrong side is attacked. As long as the Latin Kings in my face, I hate that game to, 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 like, to my last breath. This 14-year-old self-proclaimed Two-Sixer says in his quest to hurt the Latin Kings, he doesn't worry about innocent people. If my mom's going somewhere, I wouldn't want her getting hurt for nobody neither. When I'm at it, I really don't think about that most of the time. The younger two Sixers, possible targets for Latin King Raiders, patrol their turf on foot and on bicycles, using the same playgrounds and sidewalks as innocent children. You see trouble, like, don't even mess with it. Walk away from it, you know. That's the only way you can avoid it, because it's all around us. We all walk on together, so if anything does happen, we're always in a group, so, so we all have each other's back. On school days, Julian Fuentes and Perfecto Aguilar walk a gauntlet of two Sixers while on their way to and from classes at the Lawndale Little Village High School. They ask if you're from the, like, like on the rival gang, and I mean, you just gotta do what they tell you or else they're gonna kill you. If somebody were, were to go up to you, like with a gun, you wouldn't know, you, you, like you wouldn't even know like what to do. Their guns, illegal in Chicago, have made the city's gangbangers and criminals deadlier than ever. Not only in Little Village and Inglewood, but in virtually every neighborhood. I wouldn't go get no gun because, you know what I'm saying, I ain't the type that shoot, you know what I'm I saying? Know. But if you needed a gun, how quickly could you get one? Oh, I get one off a phone call. How long? Huh? Minutes? Yeah, about five, ten minutes. String this neighborhood, oh Heavenly Father. Yeah. Community activists trying to restore peace in Inglewood rallied on South Marshfield earlier this month. But Melissa Campbell Holt has made up her mind to join other neighbors and move away. The family atmosphere, she says, just doesn't exist here anymore. I just know that it's gone. And the majority of the people are gone with it, and it's sad. It's, it's very sad. But younger Chicagoans, most at risk to become victims, have no choice but to try and survive their violent neighborhoods. Stay in school, you know, don't get involved in gangs. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be all right if I continue that. I just have to play it smart, and then if I keep on playing it smart, then I'm going to succeed. And Marcus Starks also is trying to succeed. He escapes the dangers of West Inglewood at a barber school several hours a day. But after class, it's back to the neighborhood and the question that confronts Marcus every day. You think you're ever going to get out of here alive? Yeah, I keep struggling every day and taking care of my business like I'm doing. Yeah, I am. All the hard work will pay off. If don't know Goofy come up and try to whack me, you know what I'm saying? There's much more still to come. Coming up. The gun trail. New technology to trace weapons. This is literally a fingerprint of the gun. Resolving conflicts without guns. It's so easy for me to pick up a gun. It's so easy for me to retaliate. We need to educate these young people on how to control their anger and how to not to snap. Mayor Daly's call for answers. You wonder, have we lost our conscience about this the killing? Stop the violence, conflicts and resolutions. Now again, here are Ron Majors and Cheryl Burton. Gangs 
guns and drugs. According to police, these elements are at the center of most of the city's violence. But those in the trenches say that is just part of the story. In some circumstances, things like disrespect, a mean look, even stepping on someone's toes can lead to deadly retaliation. Tonight, we hit the streets to show you some groups who are working with kids to get them to resolve conflicts without picking up a gun. They say he bump you real hard at the juke party, and he doesn't say excuse me. One swing. One swing. But can't that lead into a bigger fight outside? That will? So how do we de-escalate a situation like that? T.O. Hardeman is director of mediation services for the anti-violence group Ceasefire. He and his group serve as violence interrupters, stopping violence before it starts. All us men got to man up, and all our children got to step up. Part of the strategy is to teach people to recognize rising problems in their neighborhood, such as here in Englewood, and mediate a peaceful result. All shootings are not gang-related, of course. A lot of the shootings are interpersonal conflict, domestic conflict. Organizers say training community residents is especially important now because the state cut $6 million of the group's funding. Ceasefire had to decrease its number of outreach workers on the street from 87 to 10. It sounds good, but it's a whole lot of parents that don't participate. The second part of the strategy involves canvassing the streets. On this Friday night, the group works the North Lawndale community on the city's west side. It doesn't take long to see the frustration. Most of the um, youth clubs, right. they, they took all the basketball rims from yeah. the school. They took what, what make kids yeah. be kids and, right. put and, and put something else in their hands. put something else in their hands. So it. if they not playing basketball behind the school, they mm -hmm. busting out windows or selling drugs on the corner. Right, so they something really like that. No alternative in this neighborhood. Or to hear the cries for help. Community changed a whole lot better when they see you doing something for the community. Right. If y'all ain't doing nothing for us, what are we going to do? Gotcha, gotcha. We ain't got the money and we can't <laughs> uh, politic with other people who got the money to get this going. Ceasefire's goal is to build relationships and change people's thinking about violence as a means to an end. You change the mentality by spending a lot of quality time with the young people out here. You have to follow up time and time again. A big part of that change in mentality also entails convincing young people to think of consequences before they act. That's a point that former gang member Miguel Perez drives home. The people that are locked up, the people that are that are dead, the people that are in wheelchairs, they, the gang didn't tell them that, that this is what they'll get. The 25-year-old speaks to a crowd of mostly teenagers at the North Lawndale Community Church. He talks candidly about being shot twice when he was 19 years old, shot by a member of his own gang. So the bullet hit my spinal cord right here where my chest is. I was in a whole lot of pain. I had tubes down my throat. I had uh, 23 staples on the side of my chest. The shooting left him paralyzed. The guy that shot me, he's locked up for 50 years. And the guy that, that I was trying to prevent from getting shot, he got 32 years. But the, the guy that shot me, he's not locked up for shooting me. He's locked up for the, the, the drug case. The message seems to have an impact. We need to take it to the schools because if we can hit it at the source, where the kids are still young, and we could talk to them and teach them about what's really going on in the gang life. And that when you join a gang, they don't tell you about the 50 years you're about to spend in jail or the death that might come, come of it. It's not just people who are in gangs which help, help each other, but it's also the educational uh, system, parents. Perez agrees. He says parents, schools, churches, and community groups can all help keep other youth from following in his footsteps, but it will require commitment.
have life skills trainings, uh, uh, conflict resolutions to, to help these young people uh, learn how to cope with situations because it's so easy for me to pick up a gun. It's so easy for me to, you know what I'm saying, uh, retaliate, but we need to educate these young people on how to um, control their anger and how to not to snap. Ceasefire claims to have mediated 68 conflicts since January. And a study recently released by Northwestern University seems to back up their claim of successfully resolving conflict. Mayor Daley has been urging parents to take a greater role in combating violence. Last month, in a closed-door emergency meeting, he summoned school, police, community, and religious leaders to City Hall. I want you to call a meeting in your home with your children and loved ones. I want you to go next door and talk to those children next door. I want the parents of the block to say, this block will be free of violence. This summer, not one child will be exposed to gangs or drug dealers. We used to say, you know, fights were resolved. I'd meet you at 315, knock this popsicle stick off my shoulder kind right. of thing. But now it's meet me afterwards and I'm gonna go get my father's gun and you go get your father's gun and we'll see who's last man standing. So how young people deal with conflict resolution seems to have escalated to deadly results. Like anything, I don't want to hear another child gets killed or shot. Why? What is going on? I mean, and then you, you keep asking yourself, why? What is happening to people? Mayor Daley sat down with us at City Hall two weeks after his emergency summit. His resolve is undeniable. Mayor Daley is not anger. No, no, Mayor Daley is passionate. 24 Chicago public school students already the victims of deadly violence this school year. And right, you see the access to guns. If a child has a gun in their home, you know, something happens on the street, everybody's in a playground or something, now they can run home, grab a gun, run out, and all of a sudden another child dead. And there's some way America is, is in love with guns. I don't know why. We, we some way lo America loves guns, but Guns represent, uh, and I'm not talking about hunters and gun collectors, but guns represent destruction. How does it make you feel as the mayor of the city? Well, first of all, you, 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 you cry because none of those children deserve, whoever they were, ever deserved to be killed. That's number one. And so you cry for all of them. You pray for them, you know, their families. And then in turn, you wonder, have we lost our conscience about this? I mean, it's, it's unacceptable. I must confess that no challenge has been more frustrating or daunting for me as mayor than gun violence that is sweeping our nation. It has reached epidemic levels. But there's some breakdown of, of both churches and government and families in communities now. Uh, uh, and it happens all over. I ask the adults, men and women, stand up. If you don't stand up, who's supposed to stand up? The police have done their job. What else do you expect them to do? Now it's up to you. 17 years, going on 18 years, yes. have been in this position. How has the violence and crime changed over your 17 years? Has it been the same or, I mean, different? Well, I think the ages are getting younger. And the problem is, uh, it seems like maybe people are not getting upset as much. The mayor urges community and religious leaders to continue providing a safe haven and programs for children when they are not in school. Where do the guns come from? Most start out as legal purchases. But how are they tracked once they're involved in a crime? ABC7's Paul Mikey has a look at new gun tracing technologies. 
September 1995. A drive-by shooting on South Blackstone. One of the bullets strikes Keith Blumenberg in the head. He is 19, just out of high school. There are witnesses, but no one talks. Really, all that Chicago had the night of the murder was the dead victim and six shell casings that they could work with. The case went cold. Eight years later, a 9mm handgun like this one was recovered in a routine traffic stop in Chicago. The gun was test-fired, like each and every gun taken off the street. The results were loaded into an ATF database. A ballistics comparison would later reveal that the shell casings from the Blumenberg murder matched the gun found in the traffic stop. Bingo. The firearm was determined to be purchased literally one day prior to the murder, which is a phenomenal break in this, this investigation. ATF Special Agent Jim Ferguson and three Chicago police detectives spent the next year pounding the pavement, convincing people to talk. Their work led them to Samuel Coggs, an alleged gang enforcer who was charged, convicted, and last August sent to prison for a murder that had gone cold 12 years before. Case closed due to luck, good police work, and the science of ballistics. Physical evidence doesn't lie, doesn't get intimidated, always tells the truth. Because of the way they're machined, every firearm leaves marks on bullets and casings that are unique to that firearm. Comparing grooves and striations has always been time consuming, but the computer has made it faster. It's gonna take a photograph and then spin the bullet slightly. The murder of Keith Blumenberg was solved in part because of IBIS, the Integrated Ballistic Information System operated by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. IBIS is a regionalized database of tens of thousands of firearms and recovered ammo, running comparisons that once took days, today take only hours. This is comparing tens of thousands of images. So it's speeding up the process. It's picking the best candidates for us to compare. So it saves us time. IBIS was started, ironically, the same year that Keith Blumenberg was killed. And while the system is light years ahead of where it was, it still takes time to find that match. Because every year, Chicago alone recovers 10 to 15,000 firearms off the streets. And the ballistics from every one are loaded into IBIS. As the science of ballistics continues to refine itself, some in law enforcement see promise in another technology called micro-stamping. Look closely at this 9mm semi-automatic and you can see the firing pin. It's tiny, but not so small that it can't be micro-stamped. This is a combination of letters and numbers being laser-burned onto the head of a semi-automatic firing pin. When that weapon is fired, the pin will stamp those letters and numbers on the shell that's expelled from the gun. Our codes are microscopic, on the order of uh, the, uh, the diameter of a human hair. Shell casings at a crime scene would contain alphanumerics that would allow police to determine make, model, and track that specific firearm to its original point of purchase. The idea is that if you can get fresh intelligence or fresh data to ATF, they can trace things quicker and maybe catch these criminals, either in a theft ring or maybe a straw purchasing scenario. California has passed a law that will require all California gun makers to start using micro-stamping by January 2010. Other states are considering it. Everything that they come up with, the first thing a criminal is going to do is try to find a way around it. 
Firearm dealers are skeptical of micro-stamping. The NRA says it's unproven technology, too easy to deface a firing pin, doesn't address revolvers, and would increase the cost of semi-automatics. Still, a large percentage of gun crimes where spent shells are the only evidence go unsolved. Proponents say micro-stamping is a tool not to be ignored. And in theory, had micro-stamping been around in 1995, the Keith Blumenberg murder case might not have gone cold for so long. From state to state, gun laws differ. So just what are the gun laws here in Illinois? Residents can obtain a firearm owner identification card called the FOID card after a criminal background check. You must be 21 years old with no felony convictions or drug addictions. You also must be a legal U.S. resident. In Illinois, it is unlawful to carry or possess any firearm that is concealed in a vehicle or on your person. Chicago also has a ban on handguns, as do the suburbs of Oak Park, Evanston, Morton Grove, and Wilmette. For more on the current gun laws, log on to our website at abc7chicago.com. The one question that always emerges when one child takes the life of another is, where were their parents? Some parents say they would do a better job with their children if they had the skills. So tonight, we take a closer look at two programs aimed at teaching parents how to raise more responsible children. Class is in session at Maria Saucedo Scholastic Academy in the Little Village neighborhood, but the children are not the only ones being taught a lesson. Twice weekly, a social service agency known as Family Focus conducts parenting classes in Spanish here at the school. We tackle issues around self-esteem, uh, discipline with their kids, how to discipline, giving them different techniques. Um, we also focus on how to be, you know, a good parent. Parents admit they can use the help. They help you to learn stuff that you that you think that you know, but sometimes you don't know them. Over like a week ago, they had a topic about gangs. What taught me out of this program is uh, actually kind of trying to see the light, kind of seeing the focus, what is really important, and not by somebody preaching to you or talking to you or telling you, but actually working with them. That's a sentiment that Bobby Holtz understands well. I wanted to come to this workshop so I can get some insight from a woman's point of view, you know, and um, how to get my child to, um, you know, listen and do certain things differently. Holt is attending a parenting class at Luke O'Toole School in the Inglewood neighborhood, even though it's tailored for single mothers. This is one of the toughest areas about, um, for a single mom. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, 70% of African-American children are born to single women. Many times those single mothers were very young when they had them, and so we don't a lot of times in our community, moms don't necessarily have the tools that will allow them to do things differently so they can break that cycle. It's very hard being a single mother, very hard. It's frustrating, it's upsetting, you know, especially when you don't got nobody there with you helping with these children. The Black Star Project sponsors the workshop as part of its parent university program. We've had anywhere from 25 to 30 children killed over the past year. The solution is parents. The group's executive director, Philip Jackson, believes there is a direct link between improper parenting and violence among youth. If you look back behind every one of those perpetrators of this violence, 
what you're going to find is usually a parenting crisis, a family in crisis. And in order to fix this, unfortunately, more guns in the hand of the police. That's not going to fix the problem that we're talking about. The only way that you can successfully fix all of this violence better and more parenting programs. In addition to those programs we just showed you, there are several other parent education programs around the city. Most are free and open to the public. For a list of them, you can go to our website at abc7chicago.com. We want to let you know more about this makeshift memorial. It was created by Kids Off the Block by Diane Ladiker. The memorial came as a response to uh, when Blair Hope was killed. And the reason being is because we wanted uh, to do something different. We were tired of the marching, the rallying. Latiker, a mother of eight, has turned her Roseland home into a makeshift community center, which now serves 225 kids. The youth the kids off the block deal with at risk, they're beyond that risk. We deal with those, quote unquote, the gangbanger, the dropout. Those are the ones that we feel need the most help. It's to get them thinking about a future. It's an impact because they deal with so much on the streets. I shudder every day. And I get up in the morning and look at that memorial, you know, hoping and praying. Because as it grows, as I buy stones, I, you know, my heart goes out. And I'm pleading for help to be able to help them. For more information on Kids Off the Block and other ideas on how to stop the violence, visit our website, abc7chicago.com. That concludes our program tonight. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Reporting from the Roseland community, I'm Cheryl Burton. And I'm Ron Majors.